bandwidth for this episode of Priority One is brought to you by Geek Nation Tours. Visit www.geeknationtours.com to book your next shore leave. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Welcome to Trek It Out with Priority One. And now your host. Welcome everyone, and thank you for joining us. This is episode two of Trek It Out with Priority One. We have a very special episode for you today. But before we continue, we'd like to note to our listeners that due to Skype's landline inclusion limitations, it will unfortunately affect the audio quality for this episode. Despite that, we have done our best to bring you a wonderful show with a special guest to be remembered. It's an honor to have with us today, esteemed actor, director, writer, and teacher, Mr. Walter Kinnig. Mr. Kinnig is best known to millions for the role of Pavel Chekhov on Star Trek, the original series. Mr. Kinnig, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Why don't we begin with the most obvious question? Um, How did you get involved with Star Trek? Oh, my goodness. We're really going back a ways. Uh, going back about 45 years, aren't we? Um, thing is, I, I never, I've never forgotten that because I'm asked that about, you know, two, three hundred times a, a year. So I know the answer. I remember the answer. Um, back in 67, uh, uh, I was called in to read for this, uh, this park uh, that was unnamed at the time. And uh, the, the casting director called me in. I had worked with him before uh, in a guest when I had uh, guest starred on a television series called Mr. Novak. And at that time, I played a, a defecting Russian student, high school student. So he knew I could do an accent of some sort, and uh, he brought me in. And uh, the I wrote I read for Gene Roddenberry and uh, his. Uh, lieutenants, and um, I read it. It was a very dramatic uh, speech that I read, and when I, when I got done, they, uh, they asked me if I could make it funny. Well, there was nothing in the speech that was funny, but, uh, you know, being malleable and being a hungry actor, <laughs> I, found, I found a way to do it, and they liked it, and they laughed, and they asked me to hang out in the outer office, and I did. And one other actor came in, an actor who I knew, as a matter of fact, and uh, and then I waited, and I just kept waiting, and um, nobody came out. The sun literally started to go down, and uh, I'm wondering what's going on. And finally, after about an hour and a half or two hours, a fellow came in and asked me to follow him, and uh, he knew my name, so I, I felt he had some credibility. So I did, and we went to the wardrobe room, and he dropped to his knees, um, put his hand on my crotch, and I, of course, I was a little, uh, I was a little shocked, and I said, "What's what's what's what's, what's happening here?" And then I saw that he had a tape measure in his other hand, and he was, 
about to measure me. He says, well, I have to, you have to have a costume that'll fit you, don't you? And that's literally how I found out that I was on Star Trek. The wardrobe man told me on his knees. <laughs> <laughs> that's well, awesome. True story. So during the time between the cancellation of the original series and then later in the resurgence of, of Star Trek in the mid-70s, leading up to the motion picture in, in 79, um, did you have a lot of involvement with the like the burgeoning fan base that was going on? The uh, you know, did you have a kind of an inkling that there might be life still in the series, or was it all very kind of like surprising to you guys? Well, you know, it it didn't happen in one day because it happens over a period of time. You you sort of don't get that focused reaction; it just sort of creeps up on you, and it sort of seduces you over time. You know, I started going to conventions in '74, '75 around there. And I was amazed, mostly they were in New York, and I was amazed at the extraordinary enthusiasm that the, the fans had and that five, five, 6,000 people would show up in a hotel. I had never experienced anything like this, and I'm not sure that anybody else had either. And at that point, we started wondering why the studio didn't seem to be aware of this kind of uh, momentum that the season in reruns, that the series in reruns had created. And, and, and so we, we just kept going, and we uh, hopefully waited to see if something would eventuate in terms of, of Star Trek. And then a, a movie came out called Star Wars, and <laughs> it was a tremendous success. And the people at Paramount evidently uh, put their heads together and said, what do we have, like Star Wars, that 20th has, that we could, we could make a science fiction movie? And as bizarre as that sounds, you know, in seven, eight, nine years, the staff at, at, at a studio changes, the executives change. Frequently, the projects are dropped or, or new projects are brought in, and they hadn't realized that this was still a viable property. It took the creation of Star Wars to do that. And of course, Lucas was, in, in, you know, in, some, in some part, uh, prompted to make Star Wars on the basis of the success that Star Trek had as a television series. You know, the, the, the fact that we had a very ambulatory, militant, vociferous following that uh, was very loyal to us. So we helped each other. You know, Lucas was inspired by our success, and then finally the, the executives at Paramount got hold of the idea that science fiction could, could be a very big commercial success again. So... That's how all that went. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, so now we've got the the, the core Trek questions out of the way. Let's let's move into uh, some of your other projects. So, you've not only performed on stage and screen, uh, but you've written a great deal. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about your process as a writer? Uh, you know, how much does your craft as an actor uh, play a role in your creative process? I don't know. I don't know if you can measure that. You know, I, I learned writing mostly trial, trial and error. You know, when the show went off the air back in '69, I, I found myself really in a vacuum. The, uh, the, there was no interest in the in, in the industry, and uh, phone didn't ring. Nobody offered me any roles, and uh, it was really a, a, a move of desperation to begin writing. I needed to feel some structure in my life, that I, I had a purpose, a reason to get up in the morning and not just stare at the ceiling. Uh, and I started writing a novel. 
and uh, without any inkling of what would ha- how it would go, although as I went along, it sort of wrote itself. And um, I, I spent uh, I don't know five six months writing the novel and having you know having a uh, a goal, having an objective, and being able to put aside four or five hours a day f- for this project. And it was an, it was enormously helpful to me emotionally and psychologically because. I, I felt again like I was doing something, that I had an identity. You know, when, when, when you're not working at all, I'm sure, sure it's for a lot of people, some, you know, I think we define ourselves, particularly men, if, you, if you'll excuse the uh, sexist comment, but I think men in particular identify themselves as from what they do. And, and if you don't do anything, it's, you feel amorphous. You feel, you know, somehow undefined. And, um, and that's a terrible feeling. That's a terrible feeling to have. So that's really why I wrote the book. Of course, when I was writing it, I said, my God, this has to sell. I'm putting in so much time on that. Well, I got done writing it. It's called Buck Alice and the Actor Robot, by the way, and I'll give you its history in a minute. But um, when I got done writing it, I showed it to three science fiction writers, George Clayton Johnson, Simon Winselberg, who was more than a science fiction writer. He also wrote for Broadway, and Harlan Ellison. Um, who became a, uh, a long, uh, enduring friend of mine, uh, although we've had very tumultuous times at one point or another. And uh, George Clayton Johnson, who you might know if you're a Star Trek fan from Star Trek. He's, he's written several episodes. Uh, he did write several episodes. And, and, and Shivan Winselberg as well wrote a, an, an episode or two. In any case, they really liked it. They thought it was different, and they thought it was fun, and they were very enthusiastic. However, the way I operate, my mental set is to go with a person who doesn't like something. You know? <laughs> I feel the other, the other people just are, are uh, somehow deceived, uh, somehow just something went wrong when they said they liked it. So Harlan hated it, and as a consequence, I put it away. I just put it away, and I didn't think about it for about uh, 12 years or 14 years. And then somebody uh, who had... Or read it who was not in a position to to buy it that we read it early on had had become a a member of a publishing company and he um, got a hold of me and uh, a, a decision was made to publish it so it was published 18 years after I wrote it the first time and then it was published another 18 years after that by another company and then my hand to God two years after that it was published by a third company. And while the publishing of the third company was happening, we were also recording a dramatic uh, radio show uh, based on, on the novel. And in fact, it was very, very close to the novel. The, the difference is that we, we, we gave we, the characters um, that the, that the uh, narrator discussed began to have their own voices. And uh, so we had a 45-person 45, 45 cast that we uh, recorded in Ipswich, Massachusetts. And um, it's not available on uh, CDs. It's, uh, it's been on Sirius Radio a couple of times. You can find it at the major distributors, and it seems to have a, and still have a life. Now, the, the extraordinary, <laughs> extraordinary thing is that it had three publishers and probably the fewest number of books sold uh, <laughs> in the history of... Uh, of bookmaking, uh, book publishing. So um, what can I tell you? But um, so that's still viable. It's as viable as a as a radio drama, and I I get a kick, big kick out of that. 
I don't know what the question was. It's been so long since you asked it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I've got, I got off track, I think. Uh, it's still a remarkable story regardless. It's, no, it's, it, was, it answered it very well. Thank you. Speaking of writing, you, your latest project's been a new novel. Um, we would love to hear more about that. Okay. The, you, you, I think you've been misinformed. It's not a novel. It's a graphic novel. It's a. Uh, I told him. I told him. See, I, I got to tell you, Walter. I told him because I follow your Twitter. <laughs> I, I was. In, I was inspired. You know, a graphic novel is a very. Uh, it's sort of a euphemistic term for it. A thick comic book, and uh, that, that's what this is. It's um, actually I wrote an outline for a feature film, and uh, I was trying to be current. Uh, because uh, generally, uh, when I when I've written, I've written only for myself, and uh, which is great, you know, because I'm, I'm satisfying some need and some creative uh, feeling that I, I I need to satisfy. But um, I decided to write something that I thought would at, le- at least the uh, the uh, arena in which it would play would be a commercial one. So I I wrote an outline for a novel about vampires after the apocalypse. Not even knowing that a couple of that other such books had been written, I still think mine is an, is a different twist. But uh, in any case, uh, I could get to that. But in any case, as I was writing it, I realized this is a long outline, and I realized that sometimes the distance between two points is well, I don't know. That's not the shortest distance. Sometimes. The, you, you need, you know, you, you think you write it and you give it to a producer, you give it to a studio, and then, you know, you get it made. Well, the fact of the matter is, you know, 50 to 75,000 new projects cross the, the desks of writers every year in Hollywood. And, you know, we, such a sm- small number of them are made that my odds of going directly to a studio, to, to a producer I might know, um, were very long indeed. And I did know, and I do know, that graphic novels have turned into films. And it's, and it's happened on uh, more occasions than, uh, than we put it in the, uh, you know, the area of coincidence or something like that. I mean, I, the nice thing about a graphic novel is that it's like a storyboard. The person reading it can see exactly where you intend to go with it. Uh, they, they, see, they see the drawings that, that go with the words. And uh, so I have, I still have a very uh, high hopes that uh, this could turn into a, a feature. So I, I wrote this, and it, as I say, it's very introspe- It's a very introspective uh, group of vampires that I'm, I'm doing dealing with because they're the only sentient sentient species uh, on Earth, and uh, they don't know why they're here. And um, some of them see it as an act of God. Some of them see it as an act of the devil. And uh, they're trying to uh, determine what what their purpose is. So that's basically. I actually do. I I, I tell two stories at the same time. I tell the story of of the the last humans on Earth. I mean, the last humans alive who are ac- actually under the Earth. They they're living in a cave, and and they escaped there. And they and they and their uh, and their forefathers, going back 200 years, have lived under these circumstances, and now they're trying to break free and come to the surface. The reason why they're living in a cave is because there was a, um, uh, you know, a global war that uh, destroyed humanity and left behind a 
poisoned the atmosphere, and people could not survive that. So they, they are the only folks that have been surviving it under the ground, and they're trying to reach the surface. And at the same time, and I, there is a bridge between the last humans and the vampires. I just assume not reveal it, uh, simply because, you know, it's so... <laughs> it's a little difficult to explain, and you got to sort of take my word for it when you when you read the book, you know, when you read the, the graphic novel, um, how all this happens. Um, but uh, I, I've had a good time writing it. I have a terrific, uh, I have a terrific uh, artist, Juan Carlos Baez, who, who drew it, and another fellow named John Lyons who did the coloring. And of course, there's somebody who did the lettering. And so I, I'm, what I'm getting to is the point is that we actually, I did sell it to a, to a comic book company called Blue Water. And they have published two, they, they divided into four uh, issues. And they published the first two issues. The third one is available on Kindle. And I just heard today that the book itself, the graphic novel, the, the four-part the four story which will be bundled together and as one story uh, will be... Uh, release uh, October 25th. So I'm feeling very good about that. I, I think it, whether or not it, you know, it, it gets me a deal with the, the film industry, I, I still had a, a really good time writing it, and I feel very happy about the work that was done on it beyond my own. As I say, the artists and the colorists, etc. They did, they did a great job. And it's called Things to Come, correct? Oh, I forgot to mention the title. <laughs> That's you know, what a great salesman I am. Yeah, it's called Things That Come. And as a matter of fact, uh, I have been on, on my uh, Twitter, and I, I, I started Twitter recently. I don't know if I should apologize or uh, apologize for that or, uh, you know, explain it proudly. But um, uh, I, I, I've been asking people to to uh, buy it in advance, to go to uh, Amazon.com and pre-order it, because that'll It'll help uh, uh, fund the publication. It's a, it's a small, modest uh, publishing house, and they could use all the help they can. You know what I think is really going to help it stand out? And, and I think, by the way, that you've been doing fantastic with Twitter. I follow you on Twitter, and as soon as you came on, I, I immediately signed up. Um, ah. and, and that's how I found out all the information that I know about this book. So ah. I'd say it's working for you. But um, the thing that's really, I think, going to help um, – there's, there's been a lot of apocalypse stories. There's been a lot of vampire stories. But what I really, really like about what you just told us is the cerebral part of the story for the vampires, not having or knowing their purpose of why they're there. And so they're on this journey of discovery for purpose, which is, which is really deep and very cerebral, which I really like in my stories. And, and then the bridge, of course, to the, to the humans that will be left underground and will have – um, you know a lot of the answers that they'll be searching for, and so as these as these two uh, paths converge, there's there's going to be a lot of interesting things happening. I really really look forward to reading this now. Great, um, you did a good job of summarizing what goes on. Yes, that's that was my objective. I wanted to ask a quick follow up. Is it uh, do you find it easier to write sci-fi than than any other genre? Nope, no. Okay. Actually, the the, the the problem with writing sci-fi, unless you're so conversant in that genre, is that you're creating a new world, and um, it has to be logical within its own parameters. Um, you know, it can be different. It can be, you know, it can be anything you want it to be, but it, it has to be. It has to be consistent. You have to. Everything that you you write in there has to, you know, 
be part of a whole. When uh, when you when you write contemporary uh, stories, um, the audience already knows. They knows that what a taxi cab is, and they know, um, you know, that you uh, um, you know that you can only go so far in a, um, a tank of gas and. Uh, and all all the things that we we take for granted, they don't have to be spelled out. Um, but frequently, when you write science science fiction, and you're, as I say, you're you are you have imagined this place that these these characters operate in. Um, you have to do a lot more have to do a lot more conscious thinking about how you're going to describe it and how you're going to develop it. So no, I'm not. I'm, I, I, the reason why I've written science fiction is because I, you know, um, this it's a more viable market for me because people can identify uh, me with with science fiction, and frankly, um, uh, it serves the purpose of getting people who are interested in science fiction, the, the film goers and the television watchers, uh, to uh, to check out what Walter Koenig has done as a writer. Uh, but I have written, I've got a lot of uh, screenplays, and a couple of them, well, three or four, that are really good, that they're in my drawer, but they have nothing to do with science fiction. Um, but this, you know, this is, uh, this is where the, uh, the interest is, and, and this is my audience, at least initially, so I, I, I write it in science fiction. Wonderful. Well, maybe you need to get like a, a Kickstarter website going to get some of those other projects made. Oh yeah, I have a couple that I really, really love. A couple that I really love that they've been sitting around for a long time. One, one was um, option uh, twice to be a feature film, and then uh, option uh, by NBC to be a movie of the week. This is when they were still doing movies of the week, and that was re-option. It was re-option twice. I made a considerable amount of money in options, but it never quite made it to being uh, a film. And uh, I think it's a great story. And then there's three or four altogether. I mean, I've written some stuff that I, I was not particularly happy with, but um, there are three or four that I'm really quite proud of. Wonderful. That's fantastic. That's it's really cool. And then, well, and then I know Elijah was just asking if it if it comes easier to write science fiction. And that kind of rolls into our next question about um, what you feel comes more naturally to you. As far as um, you know, the writing, the acting, the directing, the teaching—you um, know—you have so many talents, um, and maybe equally so that they all come to you. But is—is is there one that you, you feel just uh, stands out or, or flows to you more more naturally? That you, you know, you felt it was just a natural ability you had to, to act or direct or write um, from day one, or is it something that you developed because you really wanted to? Like you were saying with the writing, you—you—you you, you were searching for. You know, purpose, and and as a guy who was just unemployed for a year ago, <laughs> I really understand what you said about that not having a purpose and how terrible it makes you feel. Um, right. So, uh, is is there anything? Is there any one of those that that kind of naturally came to you more than the others? Well, I I think you know I started out as an actor, so I think certainly um, that was my that was my first career, and that's the, uh, the one that I felt most comfortable with. The uh, the writing sort of came out of desperation, and um, the uh, directing, the theater directing, uh, was just something that I, I derived a lot of pleasure from. Uh, it was, I mean, I never made much money as a theater director, but I, I directed, a, a, you know, quite a few plays, 
and I took satisfaction in, in their success and working with actors and uh, just you know creating that that whole uh, the totality of you know all, all that comes from all the contributions of actors and writers and lighting people and everybody else. I I, I enjoyed being part of that. Um, teaching, I uh, I felt I had a, a, a I feel I have a, a natural uh, talent for, and um, and you know there's, the thing is there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's you know I, you've probably heard the expression um, at liberty, which is sort mm-hmm. of a, a euphemism for not being employed. <laughs> it's one that the actors have used in the past. Well, I've had a lot of at liberty in my in my time. And when teaching opportunities came about, I didn't actually pursue them, but they came about through word of mouth or whatever. I uh, I did on you know um, several years on and off or off and on. I did I did teach. I taught at the UCLA Extension. I taught privately. I I taught at a theater company called Actors Alley. Um, and I you know again it's 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 I, I know I, I enjoy the communication. I enjoy seeing. Uh, what I, you know, can give to the to the actor, and what they, and what they can what they can give to me uh, as, uh, and their talent. So uh, I, I've I've thoroughly enjoyed it, but it, it, it's sort of, um, it certainly hasn't been uh, again a career that it's you know that's that I can put in the bank. But you know that's not what life is ultimately about. At least you know for me, it's it's always been about. Um, you know the, the, this feeling of actualization, uh, trying to a- attain your potential, that, and that being the reason why we're here, to try to actualize yourself as much as you can. You know, it's a finite number of years, and um, since I don't, I don't believe that uh, there's there's a there's any other reward um, after my after my death. I. Um, I just want to make sure that I've, I've, I've gotten the most out of my time here. You know, not necessarily hedonistically, but, you know, just to feel that I have whatever talents I have, that I've, I've achieved as close to I can, my potential as close as I can. Um, that's, what, that's what my life is, is, is I've tried to, it's tried to be about. That doesn't, that doesn't mean to say that I haven't had, you know, uh, stretches of depression and, you know, feeling terrible and, and not understanding what the purpose is of going on, but um, but ultimately it's you know it's I do have this legacy of individual effort that I I take satisfaction in. That's that's outstanding, and um, I, I think that's great because I mean what you just described in in, in you know again um, in basically the adventure of your life you're searching for that purpose, that actual actualization, which again, is going to roll. That's probably going to make your, your writing really fantastic for this novel, because again, that's what these vampires are doing. Um, and so you have so much self-identification in that, okay. um, which is going to make it real personal and, 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 and probably uh, far more enjoyable and interesting to read um, and, 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 and identify with, because I myself, I've been, uh, let's see, I'm a, I'm a Gulf War veteran. I've been a police officer. I've been an electronics technician. I, I sold cars for a while. I, I've done a lot of adventures myself. And so uh, I know that uh, feeling of searching for what's my ultimate outcome, what's my what's my purpose, my job, my place in, in society, in my role, my 
you know, I, am I a protector? Am I a teacher? Am I this? Am I that? Um, I, I understand. Well, great. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much sizes it up. By the way, if I can put in a, a pitch here, when you mentioned uh, being a Gulf War veteran, I attended a, um, a dinner recently for Wounded Warriors. Uh, these are people who had, young men uh, who had uh, come back from Iraq and Afghanistan and, of course, were um, disabled in some way. And um, I got a chance to talk to a few, and I talked to the sergeant who was in charge of the group. And uh, I don't think, you know, as, 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 uh, as much as some people have uh, tried to help, I don't think the, um, the populace in general understands, you know, the, the problems that these, these men and women, but it, there weren't any women at this particular dinner, uh, have gone through and, and, and faced for the rest of their lives. So um, participating in their rehabilitation and their and their being able to uh, you know, stand on their own feet if they have feet uh, is uh, is an important thing. And I think the uh, the public can should look into it and uh, if you're so inclined and see how y- you can make a difference. Thank you so much for mentioning that. Um, I do an event every year for the Wounded Warrior uh, Foundation, and um, that's that's fantastic. Thank you so much. That means a lot to uh, to us veterans, and uh, it, it's it is really hard, I think, for a lot of people to understand that. Um, you know, I, I think uh, it, it's great. There's a lot of publicity on it, and um, you know, you see your um, friends or relatives, and you know, um, you you hear stories, and and you know, oh well. He's his leg was gone, but he got a new one, and you know they they look at that as the happy ending. You know they see the guy yeah. he get, he got a new leg and he learned to walk, and that's it. They but they forget about all the things that come after that, and and how the struggles that still come for the rest of your life. Um, right. That really means a lot to me that you you did that, sir. Thank you so much. You bet. Uh, we know you've been a part of of quite a number of stage productions and 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 well known shows. For instance, Babylon 5, where you played uh, the sinister character Bester. Um, what has been your favorite non-Trek production? Well, that's it. You just hit it. All right. Well, it, it, <laughs> uh, for, for, certainly for film, right. that's, that's been my favorite production. Uh, I, I did uh, a dozen episodes over the course of uh, five years. And, uh, I, you know, in, initially it, it looked like I was going to do just one episode, and and that's again one of those. It's it's it's, it's almost like the uh, how I got cast on Star Trek. Um, I had uh, um, Jay Michael Straczynski, who created Babylon Five, and who was a um, casual acquaintance of mine, not a, not a you know good friend, had indicated that he wanted to use me on the series, and that in fact he had written uh, a role for me. Um, before we could start production, I had um, a uh, coronary, and which required a you know quadruple bypass, and I had to call. I was in Chicago at the time at a convention, and I had to call Joe and tell him I wasn't going to be available for the part he had in mind for me. And of course, I was devastated, uh, more <laughs> losing the part than about the condition of my heart, frankly. And um, but he said he would write another one. And I, I didn't know, you know, I mean, that was nice of him to say it, but I didn't know if that was going to really happen or not. 
In any case, I got out of the hospital and I came home, and he had written another part. And this role became not a uh, standalone, it became a uh, continuing character, the part of Bester, the, the, psych, the psychop. And I had such a good time over the course of those five years um, exploring that character and, and, and watching him develop, because Joe kept creating more stuff for him to do and to feel, and so he really, I really felt he had some dimensionality. You know, as opposed to Chekhov was, was pretty much an was pretty much an expository character. Um, so I, I and, and the, the folks I worked with were just great. You know, Bruce and Jerry Doyle and Claudia Christian and everybody down the line were just terrific people to work with. And there was a very uh, very uh, just congenial at, at atmosphere on the set. Um, so that was my favorite. That was my favorite ongoing project. Certainly, I've done some theater that you know that I've been very pleased with. I did a play called *The Boys in Autumn* with Mark Leonard, who played Spock's father um, for certain for many years. And it's about Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer meeting again later in life, and they both have deep, deep dark secrets. Mark and I, we, we played it in Los Angeles to sold-out crowds, a standing room only. And then we took it on the road, and we played it. Uh, we played it at conventions, and we played it at theaters um, for about uh, two or three years, off and on. And that was that was a terrific experience. I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I've done other plays, um, Steam Bath, where I played God as a Puerto Rican towel attendant. But there, there have been several plays, that I, and I, I played Scrooge for five years in in. Um, in the play about Scrooge, <laughs> <laughs> Christmas Carol. <laughs> yes, Christmas Carol, right? Uh, and that was and that was great. That was because it's, it's such a such a uh, interesting character, and he mm-hmm. develops in such an interesting way. So, and we did that, you know, uh, up in Thousand Oaks, and um, in a very nice theater, and uh, I had a good time doing that. So there've been there've been, uh, I guess, more theater productions where I feel. I came closer to being fulfilled as as an as an artist than I than I have in in television, but um, they certainly are with the standouts in television as well. That's fantastic. Uh, we we share a role in common. I too played Scrooge in a yeah. mu- in a musical adaptation of A Christmas Carol. It was, it was well, well, Lies was a musical adaptation too. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Is there is there any particular role that you haven't had the opportunity of sticking your teeth into and, and you really wanted to? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Merchant of Venice, maybe. Okay. Yeah, a couple of others like that. Is it is it true? Is it more fun? You know, going back to to Babylon Five and being the evil psyops commander. Is it true that being the bad guy is more fun? Well, you know what I think is that frequently uh, when they when they write heroes, you know, the protagonists of the story and the heroic character, um, they don't, you know, they, they rely um, they rely on the, the actor, you know, the, the leading man actor, whoever it might be, uh, to shorthand the story. In other words, you already know he's a good guy or she is a good woman because they're so attractive. And um, the writing may not be as necessarily as detailed as writing for a bad guy. On the other hand, there's you know there was a time when you could, you could tell the difference between 
the good guys and the bad guys by the color of the hat they wore, you know. <laughs> and um, but you know, if, if the bad guy is going to be around for a while, they have to they have to write you know, some motivation into why why he's the way he is. And certainly that was done uh, on Babylon Five. But I I hasten to add that I never considered Bester a bad guy. Um, you, you can't editorialize a character like that when you're playing him. Uh, because if you do, then you, it's very hard to justify his behavior. And to be truthful, you have to be able to justify it. If, you want, if you're going to make the audience, audience believe in the, the character, then you have to believe in it too. So I saw a lot of good in, in Bester, you know, that I might not see as a member of the audience, but I saw it as a, as a person playing him, because otherwise, you know, very few people uh, come into the world wanting to be evil. You know, things happen that, that cause them to stray and cause them to be antisocial and all that goes with it. Sure. Um, but so, yeah, so I, 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 uh, well, I, I played a lot of, I, I, played, uh, I played juvenile delinquents, I, I played... Uh, characters like that before on television, um, well, in terms of being the, uh, the, the antagonist as, a, as, a, as opposed to the protagonist. But I've always tried to give them, a, you know, real life and, and make them as, as believable as, as I could. I guess that's a really good point, because if you, if you assume the label of, of bad guy, that really narrows your uh, options and opportunities for the character, it, it narrows the path. Whereas if you go with, uh, you know, more uh, questionable motives or, or, or that kind of angle, I guess that really like opens up a, a lot of avenues for you to explore uh, your character's personality and, and what, um, like you said, makes that character who they are. Right. Absolutely. This is jumping topics to uh, some big news. So we heard you're finally getting your star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and wanted to c congratulate you on that, sir. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. I'm glad that you brought it up and I didn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that, that's, that's, this was really very nice. I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased. Um, you know, I, sometimes I sit down and say, what have I actually accomplished to deserve this? And then another voice, and he says, screw that, just accept it and, you know, be gracious about it. So um, I'm trying to, to, uh, to, take that, to take that point of view, that it's just a very nice honor, and, um, and I should be pleased about it. And I, and I am. It's, it's amazing. And, and as a Southern California veteran, uh, I have walked the Walk of Fame so many times, and, and I would love to see your star there, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. That's great. I am prohibited by the rules of the Hollywood Walk of Fame from mentioning the date or the exact location uh, at this point because um, they, they want that to come from them, and I, that's understandable. Um, and, and so that the announcement will be made about that in, a, in probably a couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, I, went, I went to look at the location uh, yesterday, and uh, it was great. It was just uh, I was imagining my name there, and that's it's really very nice. Well, sir, it is most certainly well-deserved. You've Thank touched you. the lives of very many people. Thank you. 
Well, I think that wraps it up. We wanted to leave you know the last few minutes open to you uh, to 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 promote uh, your projects. For instance, the graphic novel. Uh, you know, any certain plugs, any 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 chances we could see you in an upcoming production, uh, things of that nature. Well, I don't know. You know, I've never known what's going to happen. Uh, I've never been able. To, I never tried to plan a career. I guess I just don't feel that I have the the control to make things happen. They either do or they don't. I've been offered uh, at least a half a dozen uh, roles in independent films. I've accepted a couple. Uh, most of them I've passed on because I just didn't like the material. It was you know it was horror movies or something of that nature that uh, that is just. Uh, you know, just exploitative and it didn't seem like a challenge for me that I would be interested in taking. But, um, so I don't know. I don't know what's coming next. Uh, I made a short film. It's a seven-minute film called Handball, which is on YouTube. Uh, it cost me absolutely nothing. The crew was the, the cameraman, the director, and uh, the two actors. That was it. And uh, and we, we, we got accepted into the uh, international... Uh, New York film, international New York film um, competition. I don't, I don't know. The, I don't remember what the last word is. Uh, we didn't win anything, but we were accepted, which is sort of, uh, you know, a good thing in and of itself. Um, so I'm, I might, I might do more of that. I might make some more short films. It's, it's, you know, I have some control there, and. Uh, and uh, I can tell the, the stories uh, that I want to tell. At least, uh, you know, if, if I can limit the budget, um, I can tell stories that I'd like to tell. So I, I might do more of that. I, the people I work with were, were very good, and uh, we're exploring other possibilities along those lines. Well, that's fantastic. Well, the graphic novel, again, is Things to Come, and, uh, and you can find it on Amazon. Uh, you can download it for the Kindle as well, correct? Right. So we'll be sure to actually have links uh, on our website that'll go directly to your uh, to the Amazon link there, and uh, uh, I'm sure many people will uh, will jump at getting that in the graphic novel. Well, great, thank you, and I thank you for your time. Thank you, sir. It's been an honor having you. Yeah, I, I really look forward to. Uh, by the way, uh, my my wonderful wife, my beautiful wife, um, bought me a a great present. Um, she got me a ticket to have breakfast with you and uh, George Decay at, at the Las Vegas convention, so I'll get to meet you there in person. Oh, good, good. Be sure and come up and identify yourself. I will. I really look forward to meeting you, sir. It's been a, a great pleasure today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Walter. My pleasure. Have a good evening. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Transfer complete.